Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be a two-parter on CTA GI Track applications. And what I'm going to try to do is go through some of the classic applications that we are using CTA for. And perhaps these are some that you're not doing, and this may get you started. Okay, so in general, you're doing GI Track protocol, of course, is critical. We're using water as a contrast agent and using IV, typically trying to inject it 5 cc's a second. We're either using Omni 350 or Visipake 320. The injection rate becomes very critical. Good IV access, 18 to 20 gauge. If you have the new BD catheters, you can go with a 20 gauge. So again, technique is critical. Antecubital fossa is going to be ideal. Depending on the application, we'll do arterial or venous phase imaging, but truthfully for most CTAs, most of the things I'm going to speak about with you today, we're doing dual phase arterial and venous. We don't do non-contrast, and very rarely do we ever do delayed phase imaging. We're going with thin collimation, 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5. This is for a 64 and beyond scanner. We talk about how we look at the images, and we look at the images from axial through coronal and sagittal through, depending on the situation, curved planar, and then volume rendering and MIP. So for example, if you look at this case of Crohn's disease, you see some thickening of the bowel, the right colon and the right lower quadrant. You see prominence of the mesenteric fat, and you see thickening around the vessels on the axial imaging. On the coronal view, you really appreciate the zones of thickening of the right colon, but you also see that area of transition of the small bowel where there's focally dilated bowel and there's transition present. This is great for Crohn's disease. Yes, I could not exclude a carcinoma superimposed within these areas of Crohn's. You also see the fibrofatty proliferation. And then as you go from the coronals and you go to the MIP imaging, look at the vasorecta, which means the patient not only has Crohn's and areas of stricture, but has active disease, and that's very nicely shown in this example. You can see both the MIP and then the volume rendered image on the right. Just the slight differences, the volume rendering gives you a better feel about the small bowel, for example, but just a very easy way to do things. Or in this case of Crohn's, thickened bowels, submucosal edema, yes, we got the diagnosis, but defining extent is much easier on this coronal view where you can see the extensive changes within the small bowel and the vasorecta. And then the MIP imaging where you see the prominence of the vasorecta, again, active disease, target it down. With MIP, it's a projection technique. You don't see the wall perhaps as good as you would like. And that's where volume rendering comes in, which shows the wall thickening, the abnormal enhancement, and really gives you the information. So think about the sequences I've shown you from axial to coronal to MIP and volume rendering. One scan, same radiation dose, but how much information you can extract from the data set is significantly different. And so when you look at Crohn's disease, disease activity, not just the history of Crohn's, Mucosal hyperenhancement, wall thickening, mural stratification, or seeing the multiple layers with a prominent vasorecta, which is called a comb sign, and mesenteric fat stranding help you recognize that you're dealing with active disease. Or in this example, 
Again, Crohn's abdominal pain. Look at the prominent vessels, the branches off the iliac colic, right lower quadrant, very, very nicely seen there and here, showing this patient has active disease. Again, bone removal and then MIP imaging worked very well in this case. There have been articles going back a while, this article by LCS talking about CT enterography uh, is excellent in a range of processes, but specifically Crohn's and the European Crohn's and Colitis Organization talked about CT enterography as being the highest uh, degree of accuracy study that existed. So again, very important. Now, if you stick with bowel, and let's go to small bowel obstruction, we talk about the importance of small bowel obstruction, particularly in a patient population that's getting older. It's one of the more common causes of acute abdominal pain. Majority of patients are treated conservatively, but if you need surgery and you delay surgery, the morbidity and mortality go up very, very quickly. This article by Paulson makes the point that CT is the single best modality for detecting suspected SBO, high sensitivity, high specificity, and excellent for looking at complications. And we know, and this is beyond really what we're going to discuss today in great deal, but there are a number of causes of small bowel obstruction, with the most common these days being adhesions. We also know the questions we answer. Is there a bowel obstruction present? If there is an obstruction, is it partial or complete? Can we determine its cause? And how should the patient be managed, conservatively, or does the patient need to go directly to surgery? Well, things we look at, we look at the bowel loop distension over 2.5 centimeters, we call them dilated. We look for the feces sign where air bubbles and intestinal content are proximal to the site of the SBO. We look for wall thickening and we look at transitions. Now, in saying that, this is a good example of showing you the transition dilated bowel, transition right lower quadrant, and you see the feces, or what appears to look like feces, coming right up to the zone of obstruction. At the transition point, as we go through and as I circle it for you, you don't see a mass, but you see what looks like a beak. That's a great example of uh, a transition due to adhesions. Easy to make the diagnosis. You very nicely see the mesenteric vessels are patent. There's no evidence of ischemia. You can look at this next case. When you look at the bowel that's in the left upper quadrant, even on this one image, there's ascites. The bowel is not enhancing like it should. And when you start looking at the images, you realize the bowel is kind of stuck in the left upper quadrant. And when you look at the coronal, you see this really a volvulus. There's an internal hernia and twist. You can see the patient now has ascites, which means the patient probably has ischemic bowel. You also see the lack of enhancement. So CTA really gives you a good look at bowel enhancement. And here you can see very nicely that the bowel in the left upper quadrant is not enhancing compared to the bowel on the right side. Just a very, very nice example of an internal hernia. And again, the coronal views were particularly, particularly useful in this example. We talk about obstruction like this. We talk about closed loop obstructions can be caused by bands or internal or external hernias. Closed loop obstruction can lead to volvulus and it leads to impairment of venous outflow followed by arterial ischemia. Closed loop obstruction usually is not hard to recognize on CT, though sometimes it's tricky. 
We talk about CRU-shaped distended loops with the mesenteric vessels converging to the site of obstruction. The multiplanar views usually are ideal. This case, I think you do see what looks like lack of enhancing bowel left up a quadrant, but you realize it's all in the lesser sac, and you could see that you can scroll through the data. And again, I think being able to scroll through the data, and you can see here, we're just going to let it go slowly. But you see all those bowel loops that are right behind the stomach. That's the lesser sac. There should be no small bowel there. It herniated in through a defect, but now it's basically become ischemic. There's been a volvulus. There's a twist of that bowel, very nicely shown there on the coronal views. But also, as you go from there, you can see the coronals and the axials, or before was the axial, now the coronals. Again, just look at those loops of bowel that are right in the lesser sac. Again, the lack of enhancement. Uh, you can take it one step further, and here we'll scroll back again just to show you that. And the sagittal view, again, with the interactivity, showing you the relationship as we go through of the stomach and those bowel loops, which are in the lesser sac where they shouldn't be. So you can see there's a hernia, an internal hernia, and when you look at those two images, just static, just a beautiful example of dilated bowel, decreased enhancement, prominence of the vasorecta, edema, minimal ascites, and the bowel is where it shouldn't be, beautifully shown on the 3D images or even on the coronal displays. So again, just a very, very nice example of an internal hernia and the important changes you can see with CT angiography. Now, we look at transition points. So for example, here's a patient with suspected bowel obstruction. Patient has an inguinal hernia. You see a loop of bowel going down the hernia, which I've circled. And if you looked higher, you can see the bowel is dilated and you follow the dilatation down. So one big thing with CT angiography, you're still going to look at some of the things that are not really vascular related. In this case, the bowel and the so-called transition points that are indeed very critical. And you follow this case down, beautiful example, transition points and the hernia through the defect in the inguinal ring. And here it is not only on the coronal view, but on the sagittal view. Just a very nice example of showing you that patient's uh, inguinal hernia. Now, when we talk about syndromes or processes, and we talk about vessels, one thing we always talk about is SMA syndrome. You can argue it doesn't exist. It does. Several things have to be there. You need a narrow angle of the SMA to the aorta, usually about 10 degrees. The distance is decreased. There's compression of the renal vein. Um, we look at this example. You're not measuring angles. You just know looking that it's markedly narrowed. You can see the left renal vein is compressed. And the other thing that goes through between the renal vein, or renal artery rather, and aorta is going to be the left renal vein, and it's going to be the duodenum. Now for SMA syndrome, now sometimes I will say the SMA angle is narrowed, but there's no bowel obstruction, so the significance is of question. Now sometimes we see the loss of angle in patients who are oncology patients just because they lose weight. But to make it a syndrome, SMA syndrome, dilated stomach, dilated duodenum, you follow the duodenum down and you can see its transition is right behind the SMA. And so it's easy now to recognize that it's not just the narrow angle that's important, 
but it's that transition point that becomes very critical. And you can see in this case, the positioning of that SMA. Again, we always recommend looking at sagittal views in all cases. And this is one of the reasons it's easy to walk by this pathology. There's no collaterals that typically never are, but you can see the angle, there's no angle almost between the uh, SMA and the aorta. And you could see the renal veins getting compressed and the patient had a duodenum. Uh, it could be obstructed, which it was. Or in this case, look at the obstruction of the duodenum. Sagittal view, you see the angle of the patient's SMA, and here it is again. Or this case, again, dilated duodenum coming to midline. There's the SMA. It's obstructed at the SMA. And here again is just some of the angles of showing you the information, but the importance of looking at the bowel as well to make things a syndrome. Or in this example, you can see this narrowing of the SMA angle, but there's a duodenum coming right to the point. And then here is what it would look like on the sagittal view. So just a very nice example. Now, when I speak about SMA, we also should mention meat and awkward ligament syndrome, and that's where the meat and awkward ligament compresses the celiac, and then you have postanotic dilatation. You could have aneurysms or pseudoaneurysms. Um, when you look at meat and awkward ligament syndrome, one of the important things to recognize is because of the compression, the patient develops collaterals. So typically flow through hepatic artery is SMA to dilated GDA, and then the hepatic artery, which means is that if you're gonna get surgery that would take away the GDA, you could have a real problem. And here's just a couple more images of that case, very, very nicely showing you the SMA, showing you the occlusion of the celiac, the GDA collaterals very nicely shown on the sequence of images, and here's the images isolated. So here's just a schematic talking about that meat and awkward ligament syndrome. And way back when we wrote an article talking about the role of CTA in the diagnosis of meat and awkward syndrome. Now, one of the things about it, the MALS syndrome, is that you see postanotic dilatation. It can almost be aneurysmal-like. Sometimes all the vessels are dilated. So you, again, it's an important diagnosis. Here you can see I reconstructed some of the collaterals because of the GDA collaterals and how that surrounds the patient's pancreas. Now, median aqueous ligament compression is critical in patients who we sacrifice the GDA, you're gonna have problems. So patients with potential liver transplants, patient with planned hepatic resection, patient with planned Whipple's procedure. If usually the GDA is sacrificed, if the GDA is the pathway uh, to, from the collateral vessels from the SMA, you're gonna have a problem if you sacrifice that vessel. So it becomes very, very important. So there's a number of things we covered. We covered a few syndromes. And what I'd like to do now is go into a number of other different applications. And I'll start off with GI bleeding, but the hour is late. I need some coffee and I'll be right back.